We are glad you're here on this first day of August. Hard to believe that summer is moving rapidly. We are in the, I guess, final stages of the summertime year. And we're grateful that God has blessed us with the opportunity to be here today. We are going to be looking at 1 John. And in the book of 1 John, we have a great record that ought to inspire confidence in us as God's people. And so we're going to be looking at 1 John in just a moment or two. I do want to say thank you to those of you who are here today. We are grateful that you've chosen to be here. I know that since it is August, there are folks that are coming and going, and we pray that they will be safe in their travels. If you're traveling, we encourage you to be safe. We hope to see you back here again very soon. If you're looking for a church home, as always, we invite you to come and be a part of the church family here. We'd love to have you as a part of our congregation. We are looking today at the book of 1 John, as I said a moment ago, and we're really going to be looking at several chapters in this great book. Not long ago, I was asked if I would preach a lesson on the subject, Walking in the Light. And so today... We're going to deal with this subject, walking in the light. What does it mean to walk in the light? I want to begin our study today by submitting to you that I believe people ought to be able to tell whether or not we're a Christian. People ought to be able to discern a difference in how we live day in, day out. Think for a minute about the life of the Apostle Paul or John in the first century. Do you think it would have been possible to pick those men out of a lineup and say, you know what, they belong to the Lord? John, you remember, along with Peter on one occasion, they were commanded by the Sanhedrin council not to preach or teach in the name of Christ. And their response was, we cannot but speak the things we have seen and heard. And so there was this sense of conviction and courage that undergirded their Christian life. And so as you think about your lifestyle and how you're living day in and day out, can people tell that you belong to the Lord? I would hope that those that you work with or come in contact with on a regular basis, individuals that you go to school with, people that live in your neighborhood, your community, that they can see something special in you, something distinct or different. And if there's nothing distinct or different in your life, then maybe you need to reevaluate where you are as a child of God. So, with that in mind, let's just talk for a minute or two, first of all, about our conduct in Christ. Our conduct in Christ. Now, John's going to talk about the conduct of a child of God, and really there is a contrast in 1 John chapter 1 concerning those who are in Christ and those who claim to be in Christ. And so on the one hand, you have what I would call the contradictory life. On the other hand, you have what might be styled the consistent life. And so with that in mind, listen to what John says 
in 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is the message that we have heard from Him, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Now listen to Him in verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, John said we lie and do not the truth. So here you have on the one hand this contradictory lifestyle. Here's somebody who professes to be a child of God. The problem, however, is not in their profession, but in their practice or lack thereof. Now it's sometimes understandable that people will make certain claims in life. If you make a claim, then you have to be able to substantiate that, don't you? And what John is saying to those in the first century, there were some who were claiming to be children of God. They claimed to be following the light. But he said the problem was they were walking in darkness. Now, to walk in darkness would simply be to walk according to the world. It would be to walk in sin, if you please. Now, look over, if you would, in chapter 2 for a minute. And listen to what John says in verse 4. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So on the one hand, you have what I would call a fickle life. Here's somebody that makes the claim that they belong to God, they're a child of God, they're walking in the light. And John said, look, you claim to walk in the light, but really you're walking in darkness. When you evaluate your life, are there not some identifying marks that let people know you belong to God? I mean, imagine if you can, somebody claiming to be a child of God. But every Friday and Saturday night, they're in the bar. And they're drinking and smoking. They're using drugs. They use profanity. They're dishonest. I mean, earmarks of the world. And yet John would say in 1 John 2, Love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So the world sometimes, unfortunately undermines the Christian life, doesn't it? And so to walk in the light is to live a consistent life. Now, not a perfect life. We're faithful, but we're not faultless, are we? So on the one hand, you have this contradictory life. The flip side of that is, the other side of the coin is, there is a consistent life. On the one hand, you have somebody who's fickle in the faith, and now you have someone who is faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. So listen to him now in verse 7. John said, If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. Now, let me just preface what we're going to talk about by emphasizing the fact the consistent life is a crucified life. In other words, we've died to the love and the practice of sin. 
You remember the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 6 said, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified unto me and I unto the world. And the idea is that when we became children of God, when we obeyed the gospel, we died to that old way of life. That's what Paul teaches in Romans chapter 6. You remember he talks about when we're baptized into Christ. Know ye not that all we who are baptized into Christ were baptized into His death. There is a death that takes place, a burial in water, and then we are raised to walk, as Paul would say, in newness of life. So that old man of sin has been destroyed or put to death. Now, with that in mind, turn over with me if you would and look, for example, in chapter 2. In verse 28, listen to what John said, And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed at His coming. If you know that He's righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. Now he's talking about a lifestyle, isn't he? Well, when are we born again? When we obey the gospel. It's the new birth, as Jesus talked about in John chapter 3. It is that death to sin, burial in water, and we rise to walk in newness of life. Now look at chapter 3. In verse 4, John said, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. In, in other words, it is the transgression of the law of Almighty God. And you know that He was manifested to take away our sins. In Him there is no sin. Now look at verse 6. Whoever abides in Him. Well, he's, who's he talking about here? He's writing to Christians, isn't he? In writing to Christians in the first century, he's simply saying what Jesus taught back in the book of John, the gospel according to John. The importance of abiding in the Word, because in verse 31 of chapter 8, he said, If we abide in that Word, then we're His disciples. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now look at verse 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. His seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. Now, John's not saying here that when you become a Christian, it is impossible for you to transgress the law of God and sin. That's not what he's teaching here. What he's saying is that when you became a child of God, when we decided to make the good confession and were baptized into Christ, we said in effect that that old way of life, that life of sin, that life that was dominated by the devil, that was under the domain, so to speak, of the world, that that lifestyle is no more a part of us. We're not going to live for the world. We're not going to identify with the world because now we belong to God. We're different people. And because we're different, we're trying to live a distinct lifestyle. So with that in mind, if you go back to chapter 1, 
John is saying, if we walk in the light, what does it mean to walk in the light? Really, the best answer to that question that I know of is, is this. It simply means to walk in accordance with God's Word. So as a child of God, as someone who says, I'm trying to live a faithful life, well, what is it that, what is it that, inspires me to live a faithful life and obey the will of God. Number one is love. Love ought to be the catalyst for everything I do in the Christian life. You remember 1 John chapter 4? John talks about how much God loved us, sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Then in verse 19, John would say we love Him because He first loved us. During his earthly ministry, Jesus said we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and great commandment. So I have genuine love in my heart for God. And because I love God, I'm going to live a life of loyalty. So you have love and loyalty going hand in hand, don't you? So if I am loyal to the Lord, what then does that mean? Well, it means, number one, that I'm seeking first in my life the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Matthew 6, It means that I'm trying to lay up for myself treasures in heaven and not on earth. It means that I'm doing my best to live in harmony with the will of Almighty God. Listen to what John said over in 1 John 2. John said, Hereby we do know that we know Him. All right, John, how do we know that we know Him? If we keep His commandments. Now, what was it we said a minute ago about the contradictory life, the fickle lifestyle? Here's somebody who claims to be walking in the light, but they're not living according to the precepts of God. So, in effect, what are they doing? They're walking in darkness. They are deceiving themselves. But John's saying, those who walk in the light, they're living in cadence. You know what it means to walk in cadence or to march in cadence? If you and I were to go to a military base and we, and we were to observe troops marching, they're marching in cadence. They're not out of step. If they're out of step, then the goal is to get back in step. Well, by the same terms, those of us who belong to God, we're trying to walk in step. The precepts and the commands of God. Now listen to John over in 1 John 5, 3. We talked about love and loyalty. John said, this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. His commandments are not, they're not grievous or burdensome. In other words, we keep the commands of God. Why? Because we love Him. Because we want to live in harmony with His will. We want to please Him. You remember Jesus on one occasion in John chapter 8? Jesus said, I always do those things that please my Father. As a child of God, what's our goal? To please the Lord, isn't it? And the beauty of that is that we can please the Lord. Now, Jesus taught in John chapter 14. Jesus said, 
if you love me, keep my commandments. Now contrast that with what he said over in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Here is exactly what John's talking about in 1 John 1, 5, and 6. And verse 7. On the one hand, you have somebody who says that they have a relationship with Jesus, but they're not following His Word. And Jesus said, How can you call me Lord, the one who rules and reigns in your life, but you don't follow my precepts? So why is it I come to worship on the first day of the week? Why do I engage in corporate Bible study and personal Bible study? Well, I understand God wants me to do that. But ultimately, I ought to do it because I love Him. And because there is this sense of loyalty to Him. I want to learn more about Him. I want to draw closer to Him. We pray to God. And we spend time in prayer to God for what reason? Well, one time, you know, there are, there are times in life when we pray because we have specific needs. There are times in life when we pray on behalf of others because they have specific needs. There are times in life when we pray acknowledging the goodness and graciousness of Almighty God. It's called thanksgiving. These are things that help us to draw closer to God. And James said, draw near to God, and what's the promise? He'll draw near to you. So the conduct of a Christian, our conduct in Christ, people ought to be able to tell who you belong to. They ought to be able to tell who you are in life. You remember the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9? said you're an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Think about what Paul said in Titus 2. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to every man, teaching or instructing us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, Paul said we ought to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Why? Because we're Christians we belong to the Lord because that's who we are now there's a second thought first our conduct in Christ secondly our cleansing in Christ with that in mind I want to look again at verse 7 and I want to talk a little bit about our assurance in Christ we ought to feel assured in our relationship to the Lord. I don't think that the Lord, the Lord wants us to live in doubt. But rather, I think that the Lord wants us to have assurance in the fact that His blood will do what He has said it will do. So number one, I want you to think for a minute or two about the power of the blood of Christ. Now listen again to what John said. If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. The power of the blood of Jesus. To understand that the blood of Christ has the ability, the power, to cleanse any sin, all sin. 
Now, John, again, is writing to Christians. He's not writing to people who are outside of Christ. He is writing to people that have been baptized into Christ, God's first law of pardon. When we're baptized into Christ, our sins are washed away. That's what Paul taught in Acts chapter 22, verse 16. So what about the power of the blood of Christ? To understand that no matter what you've done, where you have been, what you have said, His blood has the ability to cleanse all of those sins. Now let me tell you what, that's powerful, isn't it? You know, the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 1, 7, In Him, that's in Christ, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, John said unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. Those of you that have children, I remember when I was just a young fella, and we would play outside, and there were a lot of times when I would come in and my clothes would be stained because I'd been rolling around in the grass and got muddy and etc., well, it takes some strong detergent to get that stain out, doesn't it? Well, what John is saying here is the blood of Christ has the ability to remove the stain, doesn't it? To remove the stain and shame of sin. Think for a minute about the life of Saul of Tarsus. Saul had been a church record. And then he obeyed the gospel. And all of those sins that he had previously committed were forgiven, weren't they? And the beauty of becoming a child of God is that once we're in Christ, His blood continues to work on our behalf. So on the one hand, you have the promise. You have the power of the blood of Christ, and then you have the promise of the blood of Christ. Well, what's the promise? Well, listen again to what John said. John said, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. What God is saying here is that you have been blanketed by the blood of Jesus. And His blood is operative in your life. In other words, you enjoy this continuous or continual cleansing. It's not saved today, lost tomorrow. It's not saved one minute and lost the next. But rather there is this progressive lifestyle of abiding in the Word of God, abiding in Christ, walking in the light, living in harmony with His will, and again to understand that John is not saying we are faultless. But as a faithful child of God, we're trying to live according to His expectation. We're trying to practice righteous living. That's the ideal. That's the goal. So we talk about our assurance in Christ, but then there's a second thought here. John now turns his attention to our advocate. 
who is Christ. So with that in mind, pick up with me now in verse 8. John said, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar. His word is not in us. Now make the transition to chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. Now let me just hit the pause button here. To understand first and foremost as a child of God that there are times in life when I step outside the boundaries of God's will. I violate His Word. I know that. And so what then is the prescription? Well, John said, I am to confess my sins to God with the assurance that He will forgive me. Listen again to verse 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here I am as a child of God, and I'm living the Christian life. I'm walking in harmony with the will of God. Are there times in life when I may do something that would be a violation of the will of God, and I'm not conscious of that? Well, that could happen, couldn't it? But His blood is constantly working on my behalf because we're blanketed in His blood. That's the blessings associated with the blood of Christ. But then there are times in life when I succumb to temptation, I fall short of His Word. I acknowledge that, and the assurance is that God is faithful and just to forgive my sins. Bearing in mind the divine ideal is that I rise above sin. Again, John's not saying that as a child of God it's impossible to sin. He's saying the ideal is that we rise above sin. But he said, if any man does sin, let him know that he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins. Now let me just pause here for a minute again. The word propitiation really goes back to the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 16, you have a picture of the great day of atonement. The high priest would enter into the most holy place. In the most holy place, you had the Ark of the Covenant. And in that Ark, one of the things present, the Ten Commandments. The lid, or the covering of that Ark, was designated the mercy seat. In other words, the propitiation. The high priest would take the blood, sprinkle that blood seven times on the lid of that ark. It was there that the presence of God was in the holy place. And it was then that God would be reconciled to His people. In other words, there was an atonement made for their sins. Now, not in the absolute sense of the word, but it ultimately pointed to the finished work of Jesus on Calvary when He made the ultimate sacrifice for sin. 
Where is it that God meets His people today? It's the cross. So what John is saying is that Jesus is our propitiation. He is the one who renders us favorable in the eyes of God. Well, how does He do that? Upon what basis? His blood. It's all about the blood. So when we talk about our relationship to God and the fact that we enjoy the provisions of forgiveness, to understand that we have to have, we have to rest assured in His blood, that His blood will do what God said it will do. And I think one of the problems in life is we fail to rest assured in the promises and the provisions of His blood. God says He'll forgive, doesn't He? God says if we walk in the light, then we have the assurance we're in fellowship with God and His blood is constantly operating on our behalf. That blood is always working in the life of a faithful child of God. It's always operating. Now, having said that, let's turn over to chapter 5 very quickly. We've talked about, first, our conduct in Christ, and then our cleansing in Christ, but now I want to talk a little bit about our confidence in Christ. To understand that God wants us to live confidently. God doesn't want you to live in doubt and dismay. God doesn't want you to live questioning whether or not His blood's going to constantly do what He promised it would do. So first and foremost, to understand that as children of God, God wants us to be armed with confidence. And really it goes back to having confidence that His blood will do what He said it will do. Do you believe that? All right, so with that in mind, look at 1 John 5, verse 11. In verse 11 of chapter 5, John said, This is a testimony, or this is the record, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is where? It's in His Son, isn't it? He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son of God does not have life. So number one, to understand, first and foremost, the place of eternal life. And John is saying all of these blessings that he's been talking about reside in one place. That's in Christ. So, the promise of eternal life, number one, is in Christ. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. Over and over again, salvation is said to be in one location. That's in Christ Jesus. Jesus Himself said, I'm the way, the, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by Me. Paul said, salvation is in Christ with eternal glory. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 10. So I've got to be in Christ. Well, how then do I get into Christ? Well, Jesus said in John chapter 3, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So when I'm baptized into Jesus Christ, I enter Christ. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Know ye not that all we who are baptized into Christ were baptized into His death. We were baptized into the death of Jesus so that we might appropriate His blood. But then salvation is not just in Christ, 
but it is in the church of Christ. You've got to understand that. Jesus and His church go hand in hand. You can't separate the two. So when we talk about the blessings of being in Christ, we're also emphasizing the blessings that are in the church of Christ. When you obey the gospel, you became a member of the one church that Jesus promised to build in Matthew 16, 18. And there's just one church, isn't there? That's what Paul said in Ephesians 4, 4. There's one body. And the body's the church, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. So on Pentecost Day, when those people responded to the invitation given by Peter and the other apostles, some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel. And Luke said, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So the place of eternal life, it's in Christ and it is in the church of Christ. And remember the words of Paul in Ephesians 5.23, Jesus is the Savior of the body. So people can't be saved outside the body or outside the church. So first we talk about the place of eternal life, but then note, if you would, the promise of eternal life. Listen to him in verse 13. John said, These things I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God. Now listen to him. That you may know, K-N-O-W, that you may know that you have eternal life. Can I know that I have eternal life? Can I know that I'm saved? Can I know that if I'm walking in the light, His blood is cleansing me from all sin? I can know that, can I? God wants me, as I said a minute ago, to live in confidence. He wants me to have confidence that as one of His children, when I come to the end of this life here on planet Earth, and that day will come, whether I like it or not, He wants me to know that what waits, what is waiting for me is eternal life. You remember the Apostle Paul when he was facing death in 2 Timothy chapter 4? And he talked about how he had fought a good fight, finished the course, kept the faith, and he said, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Paul was confident, wasn't he? There was this sense of assurance in his life. Paul knew that when death came, he would be in the very presence of God. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said, We know that if this earthly house, this tabernacle, that is, this human body, be dissolved or give way to death. We have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So John is saying here to those of us who belong to the family of God that we can have security in Christ. That there is this security that we ought to appreciate, that we ought to trust. I think too many times those of us who belong to Christ Rather than claiming the confidence and security that we ought to have in Christ, we live in fear and doubt. And we wonder. And we're concerned. I don't believe God wants us to live like that. Look, if God has made certain promises in Scripture, 
Am I overstepping my boundaries if I simply lay claim to the promises of Almighty God? No. I'm just affirming what God has said. And that's all John's saying. God has put before us these promises. We have a record. That's what he's saying. This is the record. This is the testimony. These are the things that I've written. Why, John? That you might know that you have eternal life. So he's saying you can live in security? Well, how do you back those promises up? In other words, how do you know that as you live this Christian life, that you stay within the boundaries of His blessings. Well, listen to Him. These things I've written to you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue progressive action, that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. All He's saying is, we're trying to live a steadfast life, aren't we? Isn't that what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58? Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Well, why, Paul? Inasmuch as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. So John is saying to us, as are the other writers of Scripture, that as a child of God, we can rest in the promises of Almighty God. God has promised us eternal life. And God has promised that as long as we walk in the light, live in harmony with His will, His blood will do what He said it will do. The Lord Jesus Himself is functioning as our advocate before the bar of heaven. And when we stumble and fall, the basis upon which we continue to enjoy fellowship with God is what? It's His blood. That's why He serves as our advocate today. So, that being said, could I ask you, are you walking in the light? John, he really has made it very easy for us to discern. Either we're walking in the light or we're walking in darkness. If you're walking in darkness as a child of God, to understand, you can't go to heaven. But to walk in the light is to rest in the promises of God and to know that heaven will be yours. Now, if you're here today and you're not faithful to God, then here's what John said. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're not in the will of God and you'll turn back to God, the promise is God will forgive you. That fellowship that has been impaired will be restored. You'll be back in fellowship with God and with His people. If you're here today and you've never obeyed the gospel, well, you've got to obey the truth, don't you? You've got to do what they did on Pentecost Day. Put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God. Repent of your sins, confess His name, and then be buried with Him in baptism. Rising to walk in newness of life. God will put you in the church. And if you're faithful until death, the promise is the crown of life. So, if you're here today and you want to walk in the light, listen, the best life that you can possibly have is the Christian life. That's it. And the reason is because it is the blessed life. A lot of folks ignore the blessings of Almighty God. So if you have to 
make some changes today, we encourage you to do so as we stand and sing.